Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Well, we're in the series uh, Basic Training and uh, sharing with you uh, just basic truth, some of the fundamental basic truth about uh, about the faith. And if you uh, really take seriously, I think what uh, what I share with you this morning and in the, in the scripture we look at together, um, it will give you an understanding of uh, why the world is the way the world is. It will give you a day-to-day understanding that will put you um, ahead of the game when it comes to dealing with the world. I mean, the Monday through Saturday, walking through the world, dealing with all the situations you have to deal with, and especially dealing with the other people that you become engaged with uh, who are outside this family of faith, but just the folks out there in the world. If If you take seriously what the Scripture says to you this morning, it will give you a, a, a perspective that, that raises you above. Now, as we do this, I need to warn you, you're not going to get a warm and fuzzy, uh, at least at the beginning of this message. Uh, the news that the Bible gives to us is not always stuff we like to hear. You know, I mean, when you look in a mirror, you look in a mirror and, uh, boy, if your hair is just great, you feel good about that. And, uh, you know, if your teeth are nice and white, you feel good about that. But, you know, if you got that one blemish right there in the middle of your cheek, how do you feel about that? Come on, you remember those teenage years when you when you woke up and you went to the mirror every day and you wanted everything to be perfect? And there was always that one, what do we call it, zits? That, yeah, you were waiting for me to say that, right? Just kind of, ah, just, ah. And, of course, everybody you met saw that first thing, Right? Well, you know, there's, the Bible is a true book. And it wants us to understand the truth about the way life is. And so it exposes everything to us. Not only the, the good things that we like to hear, but it exposes those blemishes. Those blemishes that are just obvious in the world and obvious uh, in life. Jesus was not shy about exposing people's people's blemishes okay and one of the blemishes we simply have that he exposes is we have a we have this internal self disease okay we have this internal self disease here's how he illustrates this as he exposes it to these folks uh, these uh, Pharisees and leaders of the law he says this <clears throat> you Pharisees and teachers are show-offs uh, and you're in for trouble You wash the outside of your cups and dishes, while inside there is nothing but greed and selfishness. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of a cup, and then the outside will also be clean. What's the Pharisees' problem? Well, they have a problem with the inside, right? It's the inside of the cup. The problem isn't the outside. I mean, on the outside, they look great. They wear great clothes. They, they stand on the corner and pray. They go to the synagogue. On the outside, they look great. Jesus is saying, though, you have this huge blemish on the inside. The problem is an inside problem, and we all share it. We have this inside problem, this self-disease. Here's what I do with my uh, confirmation kids. Uh, we spell this simple word that we all know, right? And it's spelled S, 
Big I, little N. And what's the word? And what's in the middle of it? Yeah, you see, that's what God is trying to tell us today, is that we all have this reality in our life, this blemish in our life that is this self-disease, this I-ness, right? If you want proof in the Scripture, you can go to Galatians uh, 5. And uh, we shared this with you, I think, even last week, but from a different perspective this week. If you are guided by the Spirit, you won't obey your selfish desires. The Spirit and your desires are what? You see that? See, there is an inside problem. The inside problem is we have these selfish desires that are at work in us, and they want to govern us. It is this power that's inside of us that wants to move us through life. And everybody shares this I-ness, this self-disease. There's a part of us that always wants things my way. There is a part of us that worries all the time, what's in it for me? There is a part of us that is always looking out first for my interests. And everybody shares this problem. Everybody you meet tomorrow has this disease. Everybody who walks the face of the earth has this disease. Why is the world the way it is? Go into Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 says, You followed the ways of this world and obeyed the devil. He rules the world and his spirit has power over who? Everyone who doesn't obey God. Once we were also ruled by, look at this, the selfish desires of our bodies and minds. We had made God angry and we were going to be punished like everybody else. You see, he's acknowledging the issue of the world is the way it is because we have this disease. The world is the way it is because we have this disease. Hungry children throughout the world is not the way God wants the world to be. It's not the way He created it. To have uh, people in uh, the grip of disease throughout the world and have countries wiped out by uh, the HIV virus is not the way the world uh, is supposed to be according to God's purposes. To have the sex trade to be one of the biggest industries in the world is not the way God created the world to be. The world isn't the way... God created it to be. Why? Because there is this disease. S, big I, little n. And it infiltrates the fabric of who we are and the way our world is. Now, we may not like to hear that, but we can't ignore it. We would be foolish to do so. Galatians 6, Paul tells us that. He says... You cannot fool God, so don't make a fool of yourself. You will harvest what you plant. If you follow your selfish desires, you will harvest what? Does that sound like the world I just described? The world is the way it is because of this selfish disease. And the selfish disease affects not only the world on a broad scale, but it also affects every day of our life. And it infiltrates all of our relationships. Our marriages fall apart. Why? Because of the self-disease. Our kids uh, 
live and get tempted by destructive behaviors. Why? Because of this selfish disease. I mean, it infiltrates all the, the experiences of our day. It is this selfish disease that wants to live life simply my way. You see, here's the way most people approach life. And these are the people that you experience every day. They say, life is all about me. And that means if life is all about me, well, it's about what I want. So I want a nice big house, and I want a new car, uh, and uh, I want a great family, sure, on my terms, right? We could add to the list about what I want, what I want, I want, on, and we fill our life saying, look, my life is all about me, and it's all about the dream that I have for my life. You say, well, okay, that's the way people live. Well, where is God in all of that? What happens to a lot of folks is they try to get God involved in that, but the only role God has is, God, I need you to get involved in my life so I can have what? My dream, <laughs> right? God, I need you in my life because you're like the grand shopping mall up there, and, and if you just get into my life, then I can have my dream. But my dream is still my dream all about me. This is the way most people live that you run into every single day. If God is not governing their life, then they are living a life that is simply governed by me. It's all about me. Look again at 1 John 2. Don't love the world or anything that belongs to the world. If you love the world, you cannot love the Father. You see the difference? One or the other. Look at 16. Our foolish pride comes from this world, and so do our selfish desires and our desire to have everything we see. Does that describe some people you know? Desire to have everything we see. None of this comes from the Father. The world and the desires it causes are disappearing, but if we obey God, we will live forever. The Bible wants us to look in the mirror and understand the simple basic truth that there is this disease loose in the world and it's all about me. And the Bible clearly calls it simply sin. I in the middle of everything. Now if we accept this truth, then we step back and say, okay, well what do we do about this? If that's the way the world is, if that's the truth about the way the world is, then the question becomes, well, what do we do about this? And the answer is, we can't do anything. There is nothing for us to do about this. The only thing that can be done is what God has done, not what we do. Look at Romans 3. It says there, there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many people? Everybody. That unfortunately includes me and you and everybody you know. We're all in the same boat. We all have the temptation to be governed by that same self-disease. It says there is no difference for all have sinned and all have fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that comes by Christ Jesus. There is nothing we can do 
It is only what God has done. That our hope rests not in what we do. Our hope rests in what God has done. And God freely gave us a way out. God freely gave us the opportunity to be able to turn our back on all of that I stuff. God freely gave us because of His un, our undeserved love for us. He freely gave us Jesus Christ. It's what Jesus does for us. Romans 5, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's our hope. Christ came to do what we couldn't do. Christ came to be what we couldn't be. His, his cross is like God's stake in the ground that says, look, this is my stake in the ground that says from now on I am going to reclaim my creation. It's His stake in the ground that says no longer do people have to live that selfish, sinful, self-folk life. No longer do people have to live according to what they want. It is God's stake in the ground that says He has now begun to reclaim His creation and get it back where it's supposed to be according to His dream and His purpose. Do it again on the board. This is the way most people are, right? What God makes possible for us now is to live a life that is God-centered. And God also has a great dream for our lives, right? Only that dream is filled with things like joy, peace, love, purpose, meaning, value, and you can keep going, right? Which is a better list? You want a bigger house or you want to have joy in your life? You want a nicer car or do you want to have a sense that your life has meant something? Do you want to have all the stuff on the one side of the list that is all me focused? Or do you want to have the dream that God has for your life? When Christ died, Christ died to free us from that power of that self-disease so that we don't live according to what we want, but we instead live according to what God wants. Look at Romans 6. But now that you have been set free, you see that? Set free from the selfish disease of sin and have become slaves to God. What did we just do in that verse? We just went from understanding that life is about living the dream I want to understanding that life is about living the dream that God wants. Which is exactly what Jesus did. That's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus came and lived the life God wanted Him to live. And when He was faced with temptation in the Garden of Gethsemane, when it was so close to Him that He could have said, look, I don't want to do this and it's all about me after all, He ended up His prayer saying, well, Father, not my will, but yours. Which is He living? You see, He understood 
that life rests in fulfilling the dream and the purpose that God has for your life. And that's where real God freedom comes. God freedom comes because of what Christ has done for us. And God freedom comes because now we can have lives that are so different than the rest of the world. Look at Corinthians 5. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Why? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What's God's dream for your life? That you would become the righteousness of God. Is that awesome? That you would become absolutely, incredibly so right with God that your life would accomplish everything right for God. That you would become the very righteousness of God as much as Jesus Christ was the righteousness of God. He gives us the freedom to let go of that old self-desire stuff and instead to live a God-centered life that is all about just pleasing God. Do you realize if you accept Jesus Christ in this way, you are part of a revolution. It is the revolution to take back God's world and get it back to the way God created it to be. We are part of a revolution that says we are going to live God's way and we are going to conquer that selfish disease not only in ourselves but in everybody else. We're going to pass on this cure that can move our world from the way it is to the way God created it to be. And the answer is in Christ Jesus. Romans 13 tells you how you get this power. It says, Let the Lord Jesus Christ be as near to you as what? The clothes you're wearing. Now, don't anybody take off your clothes, but how close are your clothes? I mean, you get the image? I mean, isn't that awesome? You see, look, as you walk through your day and you got your clothes on, that's how close you need to keep Christ in your life. And if you keep Christ in your life, then you won't give in to and try to satisfy your selfish desires. What's the way to overcome this disease of selfishness? To be so tight, to be so right, to be so close to Christ that you can't think anything but pleasing God that you think Christ's thoughts and you can't think anything but pleasing God. In Galatians 5 tells us when we live that way, the Spirit works in our life. We talked about last week. Here's the outcome. God's Spirit makes us loving, happy, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and self-controlled. There's no law against behaving in any of these ways. And because we belong to Christ Jesus, look at the next phrase. We have killed our selfish feelings and desires. God's Spirit has given us life. You see, when you kill those desires, then life really begins to happen because you begin to live the kind of life that God created you to live. Now, we've heard people say out there in the world or in the church that... Uh, that God hates sin. Have you heard that before? That God hates sin. We know that to be true. Look at Psalm 119. 
It says, I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. See, God hates it when we get on the wrong path. When we start doing this stuff instead of start doing the God dream path. Start living according to Christ. Why does He hate it? Well, He hates it not only because of the theological truth that He's holy and a holy God can't tolerate sin, but He also hates it because every time we get on the wrong path, we just start destroying the dream He has for us. Every time we get on the wrong path, we set the revolution back further. Every time we get on the wrong path, we put a roadblock in God's ability to do everything God wants to be able to do in our life. He created us to live according to His pleasure. Our life is about pleasing God. Now understand, God is absolutely serious about what I'm sharing with you today. And to just prove to you how serious God is about this, this is what Jesus told people if selfishness, if this eye disease, sin, is in their life. Here's what he said in uh, what Mark 9. So if your hand causes you to sin, do what? Cut it off. You'd be better off to go into life crippled than to have two hands and be thrown into the fires of hell and never go out. If your foot causes you to sin, do what? Chop it off. Better off for you to go into life lame to have two feet and to throw into hell. If your eye causes you to sin, get rid of it. Do you get a sense he's serious? Now, obviously, he's not proclaiming and I'm not teaching. Let's go out and mutilate our bodies, right? But he, what he does for us is he shows us how absolutely serious he is about this. Why? Because he knows. He experiences the total destructive power of sin in life. And He wants more for your life. He wants more. From the beginning of time, He has wanted more for your life. And He knows what your life can become. Just to give you an illustration of what it means for us, why don't you watch the screens for a minute and try to grab an image of what it means for us to grab this concept today, to grab this biblical truth in understanding today. Watch the screen. You're an onion. You were born into sin. And no matter how great you might be, you are only useful if you are pulled out of the earth and made clean. The first thing that must go are your roots. Your sinful nature and old ties to the world must be done away with. Next to go is the crown. You are no longer king of your life. The outer layers that are exposed to the world get dry and cracked, but as they are removed, each layer reveals new softness, new fragrance, new life. You must allow the Maker to deal with you at deeper and deeper levels, until your very heart is His. We come in all shapes and sizes, but we all share the same purpose, to be enjoyed by the Maker. Get the image? What has to happen in our life? You bet. Because He wants to do so much more with our lives. Now let me give you one final proof and show you how this works in somebody's life. It's the lesson that you heard read earlier, right? It is the story of Zacchaeus. And uh, I won't reread the whole thing. You know the story. You heard the story, right? What happens in Zacchaeus' life? 
Zacchaeus is living an eye-centered life, right? He is a tax collector. And tax collectors in those days worked for the Romans. The Romans were not loved people by the Israelites. They were oppressors. And the taxes that they were forced to pay helped keep them oppressed. And the tax collectors were worse among the worst. Why? Not only did they collect the taxes for the Romans, but they made a killing. Because the Romans would come to Zacchaeus as the tax collector and say, Zacchaeus, here's the deal. You need to collect that much taxes into our hands. Anything you can get out of the people above that, you can keep it. Zacchaeus has spent his life squeezing taxes out of all the people around him. And the more he could squeeze, the more went into his pocket. Who's at the center of his life? Oh, he's living an eye-centered life. It's all about him. It's all about all the stuff over here on this side of the list. And we see that because when Jesus comes to down and Zacchaeus' life is unsettled and he gets this sense that's not what life is all about, he seeks out Jesus and Jesus says, Come on, Zacchaeus, today I'm going to go live at your house. And everybody else watches. And what do they say? What kind of guy is this Jesus that he would go and eat with those kind of people? That he would go and eat with sinners? And the picture in the text is that Zacchaeus takes Jesus back to his house and they have a huge gathering. How big does a house have to be to hold that many people? Zacchaeus is living the high life. He is. He's living the high life. And yet his life is so empty and so short that he would climb up a tree because he knows there's something more. There's something more. And that something more walks into his life in the person of Jesus. And look what happens by the end of the text. By the end of the experience, Zacchaeus has understood that Jesus is the answer and that he's not going to live the kind of life he used to live anymore. He's not going to live according to what Jesus teaches. He's going to live according to what Jesus desires. So much so that he stands up and says to Jesus, Lord, I am going to go repay four times anybody that I have cheated in the past. Can you imagine how many dollars that represented? I mean, think about it. Can you imagine how many dollars that represented? You see, he just moved from that side of the board to that side of the board, didn't he? He just moved from saying, look, the dream about life is not about what I want. It is all about living a life about what God wants. And he became part of a revolution. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the people... When Zacchaeus walked up to their door, knocked on the door, had a money sack in his hand and said, Here, I cheated you before, here's four times. 